0: Yo, 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 is that a card game? People wanna know. They got kids to play Pokemon, yu gi Those games don't cut it. I ain't trying to be cold. But when it comes to fun, that ain't what I get a fun. Not gonna let you finish. Take a minute, set you strike, so the next compass
1: This episode of the Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight Games, where out of print is available again. And Dice NV, makers of quality dice. And listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and DM's Guild affiliate links, and for becoming patrons at patreon.com/slash the Tome Show.
0: Misconceptions, you don't dress up to play D. You, you don't dress up to play D. You don't dress up
1: to play Welcome to The Tome, a DD news, reviews, and interviews show. I'm your Tome host, Sam Dillon.
2: And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode number three hundred and five, we're going to learn about the lore of civilized races, the clashes of demons and devils, and the details of all manner of beast and foe found in the libraries and mind of the wizard Mordenkainen.
1: But first, joining Tracy and I tonight, one of my favorite knowledgeable D and D geeky friends. one of
3: what is this qualifier? One of.
1: Uh, Okay, okay, Mike, you're my favorite. Yay! For those of you listening, this is, of course, Sly Flourish, the indomitable Mike Shea, host of the DM's Deep Dive podcast and writer of awesome 5th edition books. How are you tonight, Mike?
3: I am well. How are you guys? Not bad. Doing pretty well.
1: And uh, in this episode, as you know, we will be reviewing Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, the latest 5th edition hardcover release by Wizards of the Coast.
2: But before we get into that, I want to mention Noble Knight Games. They have been a sponsor of the Tome Show off and on for several years. They carry all manner of great products, both new releases and old, hard-to-find books and accessories. They have a brick-and-mortar storefront and a web store. Tonight's pick of the episode is Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, which is on sale right now for $39.95. And they also carry this special limited edition cover version of the book. So go check them out, and don't forget to tell them the Tome Show sent you.
3: Noble Knight Games has been serving the needs of thousands of gamers worldwide since 1997. With a huge selection of over 30,000 unique products including discounts on most in-print games of up to 50% off or more, Noble Knight Games is the place for out-of-print RPGs, board games, war games, collectible card games, miniatures, and all things game-related. They ship worldwide and will purchase or trade your titles you no longer need, new, or used. Your satisfaction is guaranteed. Just visit www.noblenight.com or visit our website for direct access to thousands of new, out-of-print, and in some cases, one-of-a-kind items.
1: All right, and we're back. So let's talk about this Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes. Uh, Mike, why don't you describe what the book is about?
3: Uh, The book follows the format of Volo's Guide to Monsters. So Wizards of the Coast... Uh, is going with a different way of handling monster books than just having a Monster Manual 2 and a Monster Manual 3 to go along with their Monster Manual 1. And are instead... Well, yeah, so it's an interesting choice, but it seems to be working out. Um, So they instead are uh, building thematic books. So Volo's Guide was, you know, Volo's Guide had... Uh, a bunch of very specific monsters that they dove deep into, such as the Yuwante and Beholders and Mind Flayers and Mordenkainen, and then, and then had a bunch of monsters there, but not not like a tremendous number, like in the, in the you know, 100-ish range, right? I don't remember exactly how many of those guys, but it's not it's not like 350 new monsters, it's more like 100 new monsters um, with many variants of those main themes, so lots of new Iwanti, lots of new um, Mind Flayers, some great Mind Flayers And lots of beholder variants that are also pretty awesome, and some that are mind flayer beholders, which are really great. Um, Morden Canaan's follows the same uh, idea of the theme. Only the theme in this book is uh, conflicts in the plains. So it. Well, go ahead.
2: It's even more philosophical. It's about balance.
3: Balance. Well, okay. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, does that? Did it say that?
2: I think in a few areas. Okay. But I could be right. No, you're
3: right. I'm just curious if they, they explicit, if that was explicit or that's yeah.
1: In fact, I that. I think right in the beginning, right? Uh, Shameska the Marauders note about where the book came from actually mentions. Oh, uh, ah, you might be right. Perhaps it's no accident that this book contains Morden Kanan's first expression of balance.
3: Yeah. Okay. So. great. Good. Good call. Um. So it it like like you know getting into the yeah you know, breaking away from the story of it. The idea is to to hit the higher the higher challenge rating areas of D and D. So devil you know devil lords, demon princes, lots of extraplanar monsters, a lot of really high challenge rating monsters to challenge high level characters. Um, and but but like Volo's Guide, it focuses instead of focusing on particular monster types, focuses more on these these um, yeah these these areas of balance, uh, the Githyanki and the Githzeri. And the devils and the demons and um, the elves and the the elves and the drow and the Shardokai are in there somewhere. I guess they're kind of on the drow side. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that. And then the great war, the huge conflict that we didn't know about between gnomes and halflings is covered (laughs) exclusively, which I think is like a super, super long term passive aggressive war.
1: Okay, so before before we move on. Uh, and actually, talk about the meat of the book. Uh, just in the in the uh, effort of full disclosure, did any of us get review copies of
3: this? I, book? I did. Yes.
2: Yeah, and um, I both bought a version, and then Jeff sent me a review. Yeah,
3: copy I, well. I, I I bought copies as well. <laughs> okay, I, 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 I money I got some other Yeah,
1: ones. I did not get a review copy. Uh, I bought my own, and I it's actually the first one of the books that I bought the fancy dancy limited edition yeah. cover it's nice. so yeah okay so uh all right mike i know you want to talk about monsters but uh let's let because that's going to be a long
3: involved I want, conversation I want to talk about all of it I want to talk let, about let,
1: okay well let's do other stuff first so uh uh okay well since, since you mentioned that uh the lore of the races that are in here is it more than just lore is it just a bunch of stories what is this how is this going to help us in our games
3: are you asking me sure um so it is, um, it's pretty in depth. I mean, like, you know, it covers the widespread of the war between demons and devils, for example. It describes the planes. It describes the major, you know, the, the, the specific hells that exist and who runs them and what's going on there. Um, it goes into the deep history of what exactly happened with the Gith, which I thought was pretty particularly fascinating. I really enjoyed that. Uh, the elves focuses heavily on the gods, um, and halflings and gnomes also kind of talks about their their you know their their heritage and the their 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 gods. Oh, and we forgot dwarves. The dwarves and Dugar are the other mm-hmm. the other big one. So, and, do you th-
1: do you think it's uh, and Tracy as well? Uh, do do you guys think it's uh, is it just but is it just stories or is there meat in there for us to use in our games?
2: Tracy, what do you think? I think there's stuff to use in the games. It all depends on what I mean. I guess it depends on what you're doing with it. Uh, but in terms of... So there's uh, random tables as well. So they don't just have the stories in there. They do have random roll tables and, and things like that. They're, I don't remember there being a lot of like actual mechanics, though, right? Um,
3: the demon section had a whole bunch of demonic boons and things and mm-hmm. customization. That's right. Yeah. And devils, yeah. devils, the devils have some things
1: to give tiefling characters who want to be... yeah. So there was Uh, some descendants. Yeah, I I, I particularly personally myself, I like the Dwarven clan tables that they have in there.
3: I thought that was a nice addition. Oh, and and one thing we forgot to mention, it also includes new character races. Right. uh, Which are important for a lot of people. That's that's the kind of the draw for people who aren't DMS to pick up this book is and I, I don't know if it would be worth it if that's what you were going for alone. But but they do have a whole bunch of new variant variant races. It's really funny you oh,
1: say that because really I, I I actually have that later on to talk about. But one, but when you mentioned earlier that uh, uh, that they're moving away from the format of just having monster manual one, monster manual two, monster manual three, and they're doing it this way, similar to Volos and Modern Canons. Uh, one of the things I thought was I think they're doing that because just a monster manual is not really player content, but a right. monster manual that also has lore about different creatures that's not st- just pure stat blocks and that has lore about different races and that ends up being playable material for the players, it makes it more enticing for players and DMs, not just DMs.
3: Right.
2: And I did feel like there was a lot of uh, like points where you could take it and then run with it. So, for instance, the whole Devils area reminded me of Good Omens a lot. Because mm. uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's really about this bureaucracy right. and and everything else. And I don't know if that could have been previous editions before foresight, but, uh, but I felt a lot of, you could pull in other, uh, literary works for that as well.
3: Yeah. I, I felt so. Yeah. You know, two, two things. Yeah. One, one getting specifically about the sort of the bureaucracy of hell. I found that pretty unwieldy. Cause I don't know how the hell I would ever actually incorporate that into my game because I'm not sitting there and writing contracts you know and and i think what like you, you could try to you could sort of try to role play it but if the whole point is that you're going to be able to screw people with contracts you actually have to do it right yet and that that yeah that doesn't fit my See, this style is, oh
1: yeah this is the this is actually the, per, the perfect place where something like a skill challenge could be used uh in yeah. terms of making sure that a contract like is yeah, yeah, yeah you could
3: do you could do sort of intellect checks between them right um but yeah, I just I think I think players will feel like they're screwed if it's like, oh, you rolled a die against me a while ago and I lost rather than, oh, man, I totally missed that. There was that phrase in there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess but, I feel like. Oh, sorry, Tracy. Go ahead.
2: Oh, no, I was just going to say the the um, the fact that. The, having bureaucracy be that way that the devil's ambitions are often limited mm-hmm. um, and the the strife that was set up by uh um blanking on his name right now uh but the strife that's set up so like you could play with that particularly if you ran an evil campaign right so like you could say like well if you're evil and particularly if you're aligned with the devil or whatnot like who is it and what what do you do for them what don't you do for them uh sort of thing
1: right Um, right and that's sort of one of those uh, what what i to bounce off of that what i was going to say was i it feels like that bureaucracy that bureaucratic sort of structure that's really just trying to show you that devils are the lawful ones and demons are the chaotic ones and so it's an option right it's something that you can play with in your game you don't necessarily have to go into a lot of details but it's there if you happen to have somebody who wants to make a pact and wants to actually get into the the nitty-gritty of okay well if another devil comes to try to pull me away from the pact contract that i have how do i deal with that or how do i put that into the game as the dm and i think that that's a valid question uh i i necessarily won't use it you know uh because it's just not as mike said earlier it's not his style it's not really my style either but i don't know who knows what my players are going to be in the future so
3: yeah i've I've had i've had definite scenes in games where um devil packs came into play Mm -hmm. um yeah but they were they were not you know, it there there seemed to be such a heavy focus on it in this story here. And I, I felt like I, I would have liked, I don't know, sort of a different area. I'd like to hear more about the planes and I'd like to hear more about like the layers where these guys hang out. But that, that's kind of my style of game.
1: Right? Yeah, my, my kind of critique, because I really like the lore sections um, with the exception of one particular thing. But uh, my critique of it is I wish it was more gazetteer like. Mm-hmm. Right. The thing is, it's not meant to be a gazetteer. It's meant to be an exploration of the history of certain races and and right. and classes of beings. So I get why it's not a gazetteer, but it really makes me want the gazetteer, which actually brings me to my next question, which is:
2: well,
1: Does this- can I just say one thing? Sure, oh, absolutely.
2: Sorry. Yeah. So one thing I would point out real quick, though, is that I've heard complaints in the past that devils and demons seem too similar. Whether or not that was that's a valid critique from the past, so at least I, I was like I was happy that they addressed mm-hmm.
3: it. Sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's been a complaint for a really long time. Uh and yeah, I don't know if that's really due to any sort of published or not published materials or I think it's more about you know, it's hard to show them as different types of things yeah. in a game because they're both so evil to mortals,
3: you know. Right. And they also I mean, even just physically they they they're, the differentiation isn't that stark, right? right? Like yeah. You look at, um, I think it's Garyon, you know, one of the devil, yep. right? And he looks like a Merolith. <laughs> it's right. like he's yeah, a yeah. devil, but he's yeah. got a snake body and a human torso, and he fights with swords.
1: But, uh, but, I mean, that's, I think, what Tracy's getting at is that this, at least, even if we wouldn't directly use contracts in our particular games, it's actually a really good way to show the differences between those. Right. Um, so my next, my next point I was going to ask, and, and of course, you know, we can talk about all different kinds of things. I just had written a list. Tracy and I actually wrote a list on here about what we thought maybe should be talked about. but um, well, I've got a list, too. All right. Well, that's perfect. So let me ask you this. Does this book preface any future releases? Ooh. Like, the <sighs> GIF is in there, and a lot of people are saying, oh, the GIF, that's a hint. And this has a lot of planar things, a lot of yeah. uh, demons and devils, a lot. You know, is it is it hinting at something more Planescape-like? Is it hinting at something more Spelljammer-like? What is it doing? Is it is it hinting at all, or is that just wishful thinking?
3: I mean, uh, you know, I, I I think it's pretty easy to say, well, it's got a heavy focus on the planes. And if it, if it is hinting, it's hinting heavily towards, obviously, towards Hollow Earth. Right? <laughs> or Greyhawk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. One of those. No, oh, obviously right. towards Planescape. <laughs> yeah. but you know. But I, I don't know. I, I I tend to. I don't really like guessing about what they're gonna do next because I always. I, you know, they're gonna go wherever they go. Right. And and we'll enjoy. I'll enjoy the ride. You know. I I I, I don't need to. Yeah. I don't know. All right. So you don't want to speculate. I don't speculate. I don't speculate
1: that much. Tracy, what do you think?
2: Uh, I'm not sure either, but I know that they tend to leave lots of breadcrumbs all yeah like any good dm does
3: yeah yeah but they they could theoretically be leaving breadcrumbs to everything <laughs> like, exactly you know, yeah. like, oh of course it was that they had like, that. They
1: yes had like like any good dm does <laughs> yeah right right you leave everything <laughs>
3: yeah. In there. yeah so yeah i mean all obviously right. it's got a heavy focus i think you could run a planescape adventure with this you can go to the dm's guild and pick up a couple of things and you could easily run a, a, a solid planescape adventure yeah
2: yeah uh, just to go back real quick, though, Sam, mm-hmm. you you quickly changed the subject, but you had said there was one thing yeah, about the lore that, that you didn't like.
1: Okay, here here's so, see, I was I was building up that uh, that that anticipation, right? Here's here's my issue: the Raven Queen. Oh. Oh. The 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 Raven Queen has basically been retconned.
3: Yeah, from, so, you know, I, I never Fourth keep, Edition origins, right. I never keep that much. Like the Raven Queen was a major NPC in my Fourth Edition campaign, but even then, I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. So what what is See, what is the difference? The, so what, where did she start? Well, let me
1: tell you why I, I feel this way. Because yeah. in 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 Fourth Edition, the Raven Queen was like one of the new cool things. I mean, yeah. that was her initial entry into D anD. D and so uh you know it was a very short-lived edition so there's not a ton of stuff but there is quite a bit uh basically i don't want to go through the whole lore of where she came from and i'll probably get some details wrong because it's been a long time since i've done anything with it but basically uh uh it, it it never explicitly says i think what her race is but it heavily implies that she was a human mortal and uh nerul the god nerul uh Took her and uh, fell in love with her or something and and took her and she learned how to uh, use some of his power or whatever. Anyway, she, she bests him through trickery or wiliness or innate magical power. I don't really know. I don't remember. Okay, so all of you listeners who I'm getting it wrong – just recognize, I'm admitting, I, I'm not telling exact details, but that's b- the basics of it. When she bested him, you know, Nerul used to have dominion over the undead, and so she bested him, and or over souls or something, and so she bested him, and she then took that over, and she wanted even more power, so her major adversary was Orcus. And since her major adversary was Orcus, uh, she was set up as sort of a foil for Orcus because she's neither good nor bad. She's just the god that sort of uh, nurtures souls that are eventually going to become her domain anyway because she is the ruler of all of the areas where, you know, where the undead and, and where the dead go. Um Whereas Orcus wants to have everybody die, and then he wants to raise them and treat them as a giant undead army, and that's relatively evil. She's not really that evil. She's just sort of a patron versus mm-hmm. a sort of dominionist kind of person. Um, in Morden Kane and Soma Foes, they completely do away with that history, and she becomes uh, um, an elf. And gosh, I don't even remember all the details. Uh, but she's, um,
3: she's all kind of gothy. The whole mis- memories. She loves she, to sort of collect. Yeah, she's, lost she's now memories. the the
1: queen of memories. Um, and she uh, she um, yeah. I just I don't know.
2: Basically, uh, she kind of so before she turned into the Raven Queen is a, an elf queen that is kind of like Icarus and tries to rival the gods and ends up falling into the Shadowfell and dying and then from that death the Raven Queen is born.
3: Yeah okay. So she's actually part of the whole Corellon history.
1: Right. And she was uh, one she, of the yeah. she was She's one
3: of the elves that fell yeah. from Corellon when Corellon was wounded by she,
1: Well sort of. And Grump. but she's she's sort of at the end of that section because she gets rather powerful herself and right. Uh, you know she um she creates the Shadar because you know those were the the followers who you know supported her. She also right. ends up creating the Nagpa um because yeah. a, a group of the Shadar Kai uh, uh, rose up and and basically uh, um betrayed her and and her her Shadar followers. So she cursed them and turned them into Nagpa. Uh, which also actually changes the history of the NAGPA. So, um, you know, the thing is that this book has a lot of really kind of cool stuff in it. In fact, it reminds me of a, a book from the second edition days called Monster Mythology. It was one of those blue-covered, sort of faux-leather-covered books that they had. And it went through and it talked about all of the different, um, the the uh, like the dwarves and elves and halflings and gnomes and all, all of their gods, because those weren't in the dungeon master's guide in second edition um and it talks about some other sort of uh evil gods of 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 non what we would call the non-civilized races or whatnot non-humanoids in some cases um and it's just basically full of lore and and a few extra mechanical things and that's sort of what the first half of this book reminds me of Mm -hmm. but but i I sort of feel like i don't know i just i i i have a very specific um idea of the Raven Queen in my head because of the the way that her lore was developed in fourth edition and the way right. that all that happened and the way that I used her in my game that this is a complete change from that and I know that this has been answered uh by someone on on the WotC staff I don't know if it was uh, Mike Merles or Jeremy Crawford or Chris Perkins or someone and basically they said well the lore of about a god in one, mortal plane is not necessarily the same lore about a god in another mortal plane because those people the people that live on that plane are they have different histories and so the stories that that get built up about a particular god arise from different phenomena and from different events in that world's sort of timeline compared to the other so in other words basically kind of a soft way of saying well both of those histories of the raven queen can be true and you can use whichever one you want and that's all fine and good, except this is the one now that is written in fifth edition. <laughs> and that, uh, is and, and there's sort of no mention of of that in the book saying, well, you know, this is only the history as known, you know, in the Forgotten Realms or whatever.
3: Right. Yeah, that's, that's a fair it's a fair complaint. I mean, it's funny, like I, I, you know, the Raven, like I said, the Raven Queen was a big, a big focus in a campaign that I ran for three years. Mm-hmm. And then I read this and I was like, oh, it's OK. <laughs> like it kinda, in my head, I never even really drew the connection that it was that far off. I just I was just kind of enjoying what I was reading anyway. But, yeah, I can yeah. see that makes sense. Like when you've got it sort of wired in your head because the whole idea, like she doesn't really have that connection to being a neutral god of death right now she's something right. completely different so yeah I, she's, this I, I get old, that.
1: she's got a memory palace and you know because right. they did that whole Shadowfell book in fourth edition yeah, right. Right. she lives Shadowfell in a place Rock, called yeah. like the palace of fate or something in in her domain right. uh and and there's a lot of lore in there and it's really really cool right. and i, and now I it's, just now it's you know
3: it's overdone yeah. now, and the, the, the thing is the, they yeah.
1: they brought the Shadowfell into fifth edition so why not keep that because yeah. now basically there the is a says in in my fourth edition book start is not true
3: yeah if you um if you google or go onto youtube and look for a dragon talk about the Raven queen um chris perkins and matt cernet um talked to greg tito about specifically the, the history of the Raven queen and i bet some i, I can't remember, i remember listening to it but it's a while ago mm-hmm. um and and why they sort of chose the way they chose so there, there might be yeah. more in it there yeah
1: yeah, I mean, you know, I don't begrudge them their choices, whatever. I mean, that, you know, I, I think this is a story, pretty big
3: retcon. It,
1: yeah, it's a pretty big retcon to me, but I know that, you know, a lot of people didn't play or enjoy fourth edition, and there are a ton of new players for fifth edition who have no concept of the Raven Queen prior to this. And unlike a lot of the other things in this book, there isn't 30 years of lore from previous editions about her or, or him or whatever, however you conceive of the Raven Queen. Um, so. You know, it's fine for them to do. I mean, so in other words, I'm not completely, you know, saying this is ridiculous or whatever. I'm just saying I noticed it. It hurts me <laughs>
3: yeah, sure.
1: personally. Um, however, before we go further, I do have to mention something uh, that's not related to this book, and that is our second sponsor. Yes, two sponsors. We have uh, – We have been sponsored this uh, season by Dice N.V., the makers of quality dice for your RPG gaming experiences. They have a large selection of dice in a variety of awesome colors and designs. You can go to their store and buy up some of their sets, but you can also uh, join their subscription service, which allows you to get uh, unique dice sent right to your door every month. There are uh, some tiers or levels that you could use, but uh, the smallest one is called the sampler level, and for 5 bucks a month, or for $50 for six months, you can get a single carefully crafted, carefully curated polyhedral diet delivered to your door. It's a great way to pick up a random sampling of dice and to try out their service, see how their quality is, uh, see how everything works, and see just how unique the dice that you get are. And you can check them out at DiceEnvy.com and make sure that they also know that the Tome Show sent you. Their mission, by the way, which is stated right on their website, is to give you some great new dice to show off and give your friends Dice Envy, which is where their name comes from. So go check them out. I'll put a link in the show notes so that you can easily find it. Okay, back to the review. So, Mike, Monsters.
3: Yeah, I, I want to make one more statement. I know we're, we've moved on from the story parts, but there's one thing that I think is, is kind of important about the design of the book overall. And, and I think it has to do with the focus that Wizards is putting on D&D, which is a big change from 3.5 and 4E, that they really are doubling down on the fact that the story is the most important part of these adventures. And the depth and the lore matters more than whatever mechanics you're going to have for a monster. And I think for them and, you know, like we have a choice of either getting mad about that or or, or going with it. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm on the going with it side. Right. Like I was yeah. huge into the tactics of 4E and now I'm trying to let a lot of that go and trying to really get into the story. So for me, like being realizing that you're buying a book where half of it has been barely any mechanics at all. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's it's an important philosophy towards this edition in particular. And one, I think that's working for them. Like I think if we look at the whole. You know, the zeitgeist that surrounds this, that that, the, the, that focus on the story is becoming a bigger and bigger deal. So I think it's a smart yeah. move for them. They're both guiding it and following it at the same yeah. time.
1: Well, and, you know, my question, my original question, which was lore of the races, is there more than just lore in the book, uh, was meant to sort of lead into that idea. Um, I personally think that reading the lore, yeah, it doesn't come with mechanics at the end of every paragraph, but what it comes with is little tiny niggling story ideas that you could throw into your own games. Uh, I mean, you could go through this and you you could just read, you know, one 10 page section and jot down notes that could end up, you know, forming the background uh, events in your campaign For a two year long campaign for just one, you know, several page section in this book. So even though they don't incorporate mechanics into it necessarily, although there are places with random tables and whatnot, even though they don't necessarily do that, it's still full of actionable items. Right. You know, yeah, there when, was, they, when they like, talk about what the devils and demons are doing in the Blood War, when they talk about the yeah. Gith and their discovery of, you know, the way that the elithid power their ships and all that stuff, that's really fascinating stuff you could definitely use in your game.
3: Yeah, there's a, there's a section, one, my, my favorite section of, of the story was the stuff about the Gith, and in particular they have a big section about the city that the Gith, or the yeah, I guess it's a city, it's a city built on the body of a dead god yeah. um, called Tu Nerath. And there's a whole section about these places called the Dragon Caves, which is the lower shattered body of the god that is sort of unexplored. And you're like, wow, there is a twentieth level dungeon. You know, like mm-hmm. you're gonna go and explore right. the caves that are so old that even the gift who live there don't know what the hell's in there. Like it just, you know, that that one in particular sort of grabbed my imagination and, and I was like, Man, I wanna run something there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah.
2: And I, and I think the story also helps in another way. When I started with fourth, because I started playing with fourth edition mm-hmm. and also DMing pretty quickly, um, and the fact that like the monster manuals and stuff didn't have really much, if any, story, uh, and there were a lot of just like monsters. The only thing you got were stat blocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually made it hard in terms of I had players who had been playing. Some of them, you know, for twenty plus years, uh, and they're like, "Well, you know, describe this more." And I'm like, "I have no idea. I just know it's a monster." <laughs> And I can try to make up stuff, but it's not going to match what's in in your head. So now it's kind of a more level playing field and ensures that you don't have that. Or not necessarily ensures, but helps uh, lessen the chance that it's just a you roll dice, I roll dice, we come up with math.
1: Yeah. Now, that's a fair point. Uh, You know, the the Monster Manual 1 in 4th edition is very lacking uh, in details and descriptions and lore of, of almost any type. I think the entries have a, a sort of, a, if you roll the knowledge check and you get a 20, here's what you know about this creature. But um, short of saying, well, here's what it looks like and showing the players the picture right from the book, it doesn't really tell you a lot for, uh, for the majority of those creatures. That was a really big uh, missed opportunity they had. And I think they tried to improve on that as fourth edition went along um but it never really got to the extent uh that they have it in fifth edition because i think as mike was saying earlier they're so story focused in this edition that i think it would be it would be a shock if they just gave a stat block
3: yeah of right it wouldn't it wouldn't be a good idea
1: yeah so um,
3: monsters we're we gonna talk about monsters let's talk about monsters mike
1: uh, you love them all they're all perfect okay no. over. oh wait, all wait, right. wait what, uh,
3: what? No, not quite So, um, I mean, I think that they, so they, like I said, they, 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 they stated pretty clearly that their intent was to focus more on higher level foes, right? Like monsters of a higher challenge rating. And they did, you know, I, I, so, um, one, one, one thing I want to mention, uh, there's a fellow named Paul who runs a site called blog of holding, and he's as big a nerd as I am when it comes to like looking at the actual stats and doing like a deep analysis of it. And he wrote spreadsheets of the all of the major stats of all of the monsters in the monster manual and in Mordenkainen's, just so we could compare things like damage output of a monster and how many hit points it has and everything else. And I, you know, he and I went email back and forth uh, quite a bit over the past, over the past week or so uh, looking at these things, because my initial assessment uh, was that Mordenkainen's monsters were too weak. And, um, and then my, my thought was that they were weaker than the equivalent monsters in the monster manual. And, through the data that he put together and through analysis that he did and that i did separately we came to the conclusion nope that's not true they are about on par you know they're maybe slightly weaker but not enough that the noise that that could be that could be accounted for in noise meanwhile
1: Um, separately mike sent me an email and said hey can you check out some of these numbers and tell me
3: what you think yeah i picked a few specific ones that i had looked at and i'm like these do not seem right and
1: so that's what I did. I, I did a lot of sort of number crunching and and then I didn't see uh, Paul's post until today when he actually posted it publicly. Um, by the way, I've followed his blog for years. It is fantastic. Oh, really? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh there's a ton of stuff on there. He, he uh, is an, uh, he used to be a, a really big member of the OSR, the old school. So, oh. you know, he did a lot of labyrinth Lord posts and a lot of sort of different Greyhawk based stuff and things like that. And, uh, and uh, uh, and and I, you know, I'm an I, you know, I just I, I sort of uh cast a wide net, and occasionally a few sites stick, and he his is one that stuck uh for me. So over the years since I've been writing my blog, actually I've been following his. So uh, I, I highly recommend it. I'll, maybe I'll put a link in the show notes for that if I can. Remember. Yeah, but at
3: least put a link to that article that he put. Out. He has two articles about the math of the Monster Manual, and he compares it to the Monster Manual math compared to the DMG recommendations on how to build a monster. And then one on legendary monsters and then one on uh, the morning Canaan's ones. And they're okay. all they're all an excellent read. I think if you if you want to dig into that kind of stuff at all, many people probably don't give it. They don't care. Hey, look, I didn't yeah. swear. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you, you don't really care. And the monsters are fine as is. Um, but for some of us, we like to dive into it a little bit and kind of see what the you know, what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And uh, uh, and that's the case. So my 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 biggest quibble. So I'll start with my quibbles and then I'll get into my my gushing. Um, But my my biggest quibble is that even though the math is correct, that it it, it in my opinion, I, I don't think this is Paul's opinion, but in the in kind of in my look at it, it's close enough to the math in the Dungeon Master's Guide that it seems like their guidelines and the way these monsters are built are pretty close. And a lot of people, a lot of times when I picked a weird one out and threw it on Twitter, and I was like, "What's up with this guy?" A lot of people said, "Well, here's the reason why it's at the challenge rating it is, given the character, the, the abilities it has." And I was like, "Okay, that you know that makes sense," and um, but the which rea- is basically what I. That's yeah. what I did. My yeah, game, right. You, so. did, yeah, you said the same. And that, that's useful, right? Like, I, want, I wanted that feedback. That's why I brought it up. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to... I'm not. I'm going gonna, gonna to argue about some of them, but most of the time, I'm like, okay, yep, you're right. And um, But the, so so, do they match the math that's in the Dungeon Master's Guide? Yes. Do they match the math across the Monster Manual on this? Yes. However, that doesn't mean they're going to be good challenges for high-level players, high-level right. characters. And having run a lot of high-level games, both in 4, 3.5, 4E, and 5E and you know two, at least, I don't know, three or four campaigns that at least got into the 16th-ish level range. You know, these guys are going to go down fast, right? And, and you know, I, I got to say, like, my initial reaction, I was like, ooh, Devil Lords. And I look, and I'm like, ooh, Hootagen, second in command to Mephistopheles, right? This is mm-hmm. the guy that Mephistopheles is worried is going to take over. He has 200 hit points, right? I've seen level seven characters dish out 200 hit points in two turns, right? He's going to, yeah. you know, he's going to drop, so, you know, and, and then a lot of people are like, well, he wouldn't be in a position where you'd be able to hit him. And there's all these like arguments that take place of that. And I'm like, he's not going to fly away and run. He's a, you know, this is the second of Mephistopheles. He should be a walking nuclear bomb, mm-hmm. right? He should be like, you, you should run in fear. What's and, his,
1: uh, what's his, uh, one thing I did not write down is his initiative bonus. What is it? Do you I know? I
3: don't know. Here's I'm going to look initiative. it up. He's not,
1: gonna, he's, not gonna, he's not killing anybody. Well, but, well, uh, sure he is. No, 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 listen, listen. Hootagen has, yeah, he's, he's only got 200 hit points. However, he regens 20 every I, round. He's immune to fire. He's immune to poison. He resists cold. He resists uh, attacks from non-magical weapons. Yeah, he's right, immune to charm. How many people,
3: are, how many people look, are in hell he, look, fighting a team with no magical he weapons? He can cast Lightning Bolt at will. As a turn. Yeah, take but... A turn.
2: Okay. A Sererac but...
3: lightning bolts as legendary actions. That's badass. Okay, but Hutegin uh, <laughs> is
1: only a CR twenty-one. He doesn't have that. What is, I what mean,
3: Sererac. Sererac's like twenty-four, right?
1: I don't remember. But Hutegin uh, is not the first in command. He's the second in command. So.
3: Yeah. Well. So, what do you think that um, more, that means? That Mephistopheles has two hundred and twenty-five hit points? No. Like no, I, I've I, seriously I seen characters that do two hundred damage in a round. You know. So. Now, there's, it's all fixed. Like, I, I just, you know, in, in my experiences, these guys are not going to do nearly enough damage to scare anybody. And they have way too few hit points to be able to survive for very long. And I know that the math works out according to their design, but the design doesn't account for things like power attack. It doesn't account for a lot yeah. of the weird things that occur when you have really high level high level characters like
1: i I guess the the other thing though is too are you know you're gonna you're gonna have five characters or four characters going up against hudagen by himself i mean he's not gonna be sitting by
3: himself he's gonna have all of his minions right i mean and this is this is yeah then it gets into the whole discussion about challenge rating and what it really means and the answer is like once you cross cr10 there is no such thing as a balance encounter and it should be hudagen and five pit fiends and and then you have a fight right and maybe maybe the party's fighting five pit fiends and then hudagen shows up that would be right now you got it right like but i i still like you know for me i guess let's see the think about this
1: though but that that's actually the answer to every complaint you have is that these creatures are not (laughs) going to be uh presented in a vacuum they're presented situation and they're probably not going to be by themselves
3: devils so devil. let me answer me this then so devils they spawn from the previous version of a devil right like Right. As they're going up the hierarchy, they they like yes. break apart and return into something else. So let me ask you this: What was Hootagen before he was Hootigen? Uh I don't know. I'd, I'd have to look that up. What do you What but, do you think he would be? Probably a pit fiend. A pit fiend. Guess how many pit, hit points a pit fiend has? Three hundred. Three hundred. One hundred right yeah. and fifty percent or one hundred what thirty mm-hmm. percent? I don't know. Well, you know. So he went from three hundred to two hundred hit points. Well, he died in between. <laughs> right. But no other monster loses hit points when they go up on hierarchy. He should have 450. So, uh-huh. and, and I, so, you know, lots of them, you know, I could tell you how I felt, right? And what I yeah. felt was I want to open a book that's about badass monsters that are going to just destroy things. And I'm like, 200 hit points? And then I'm picking on him because he's probably the worst case. And I think, was it you, it was you or somebody else brought up, there's another CR21 monster in here who's way more powerful. You know, has more hit points. It has all basically the same abilities, only his hits a lot uh, harder. Well,
1: Ma- Moloch. Moloch. Yeah,
3: is, Moloch, is, right. Uh,
1: 20. I wasn't oh it wasn't me that brought yes. that up, but he's... Yeah.
3: Tracy, go ahead.
2: Maybe maybe, maybe something just didn't go right in the promotion ceremony. There again. you
3: go. <laughs> yeah. Well, so... And and I think the answer is that when you give something legendary resistances, they lose a bunch of hit points because legendary resistance count equ- are the equivalent of hit points when you use the DMG. But, mm. you know, so, so what I would have liked to have seen... And, and it's too late. It's printed the way it is. But I have a I have a fix. Right. I have an easy fix that we can all do. Um, but what I would have liked to have seen when I opened the book is a section that says, hey, by the way, these guys are harder than your typical because they are devil lords. Right. right. So keep in mind, our expectation is these are going to be way harder than you think. And by the way, they have 450 hit points. and They hit for 45 damage a hit because they're devil lords. These are the most powerful things that have stats. Right. So that that's what I would have wanted. Now, the nice thing is that all the things that I'm complaining about are fixable with a uh, uh, with a a modification that Jeremy Crawford mentioned again on Dragon Talk, which is a fantastic one, which is the hit points they have are the average, you know. So in your own game, that is a dial you can turn and you are still within the design constraints by turning that dial. So what I, what I recommend, if anybody gets to the point where they're fighting these guys, is the DM can look at the hit dice, and when they see, we'll go back to Hudogen again. So when we look at Hudogen, his hit dice are 16d10 uh, plus 112. So that's, uh, what, 272? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you keep 272 in your mind. And then how the battle goes, you can decide, does he have 272 or does he have 200? And if he's kicking everyone's ass, and they're struggling, and they're gonna, you know, get that one last heroic strike. Maybe he doesn't have 272, but if they're beating his ass, then you might have his hit points go up. Now, I would even say for these guys, you could break that dial and say, "I'm going to give him 450 hit points." You know, I watched I watched level 16 characters do 750 hit points to a dragon. You know, that was lower CR than this. Well, I guess about the same CR. So, um, so that's a dial. The other dial is the damage, which isn't really pseudo legal, but you can kind of see how much. They hit could hit four, and you can increase their average damage either by doubling their damage dice or by uh, maximizing the damage that they get on a hit. So if they do 17, it's 2d8 plus 8. You can instead do 24 points instead of 17 points. Um, so there's lots well, of options to make yeah. these guys th- as hard as I want them to be. I just don't like that I have to do that
1: but see i think i think that um
3: and i'm gonna have to do that my my I, players I, will eat these things alive
1: your players will but i'm not sure everybody's players my, i mean like
3: you know, power who, give me that who, Mike Shane got a bunch of power gamers no
1: i'm <laughs> not saying that what here's the thing though uh hootagen has a fearful voice reaction that requires the player to yep. make a, a dc 22 wisdom yep. save
3: have you ever heard of a spell called heroes feast
1: how many times can you cast that spell?
3: Every cleric that has it casts it every day because it's the best cleric spell you can get. And it, re- it removes all poison and fear. And it, it lasts all day long. And you cannot dispel it. It's a fantastic spell. And it removes about half of the damage of most of these guys. Yeah, it's 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 pretty. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I'm just saying, look, <laughs> like, look at the I'm number saying, of look, your years. players, your Let's players. Start. Look, your players would eat Hootagen for lunch. Mine would die in a fiery death really quick.
3: Yeah, you should, you, you know, uh, give me their email addresses. I'll tell them about Heroes Feast. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, you know, like oh I, I found out the hard way. Right. I found out because I had a player who told me, hey, I'm just going to take one of my six level spell slots off. Because every morning I'm casting Heroes Feast, and then they went up against an ancient green dragon and beat its ass because fear was gone and poison was gone. Yeah, you know, and and you know, so there's and then I won't even get into like you know, drop a force cage on Hootagen and he can't do anything at all because there's all kinds of other issues. But you know, the the main thing is like, um, I, I I you know when I when I look at like Thirteenth Age, Thirteenth uh, Age had a really interesting feature which they called the. Um, uh the the nastier special, right? And, and certain <laughs> monsters that were really powerful had a separate stat block, a little separate section of their stat block called the nastier special. And if you wanted these guys to really be pains in the asses, you could give them these nastier specials. And it was like a neat little template that you threw on a guy that was part of the game. And I, I think they could do something like that in, in fifth. Like they could... They could have, you know, in the next Xanathar's Guide, they could say, like, hey, if you need to tweak your monsters, here's some guidelines we recommend on how to make your monsters really challenging or how to tune them for whatever, you know, whatever battle you've got. Um, so I'm, I'm picking on this in particular because this was a book that focused on high-level play. And I and I know I'm not the only one. I've seen lots and lots of people tweet about the fact that they're watching guys – they're watching super high-level guys get killed by, like, level 12s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, so I mean you definitely. you and I have
1: talked about this quite a bit that that a lot of creatures are vastly underpowered when you get a group of four PCs that are relatively competent. Right.
3: Yeah. And um, I don't I think that I think an, an argument against it is, well, you know, and I, I hear it a lot, like, oh, your 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 group is really super and my group's a story focused group and they're not optimizers. And it doesn't take much optimization to say, Oh, power Attack looks pretty good. You know, I'm gonna take mm-hmm. that. So it's not like they're, you know Well, let me answer let me say this
1: though. You know, regardless of whether your group is a, a power gaming group, I mean that shouldn't matter because the game mechanics and the and the and the creatures that are written and the way they're written should do what the designers intend it to do. So for me, I guess the question is, is Hootagen meant to be defeated so quickly? And, yeah, I mean,
3: what, like and, his story does not fit his stat block. That's my issue.
1: And and what does? But what what does the DM do when when he is? Now, what's the next step? Right? right. It, is that is that fifth level fifteen party level sixteen party that you cited? Are they ever going to meet anything that they can't defeat? That's written in any of these books? Like, could they defeat you know one of the demon lords from out of the abyss? Which, I mean, by the way,
3: are reprinted. G- is pretty freaking hard. <laughs> like, you know. TMF breathes okay. you know as legendaries but so. like so
1: so take the but take one of the the demon lords right that are that are reprinted here with their madness and everything right so you've got yeah. uh, you've got orcus yeah, you've orcus got You've got Yinagu. You, you've got uh, a whole bunch, right? Zognamoy is is in here as well. All of the ones from Out of the Abyss. Which, by the way, I actually like that they reprinted those. I heard some people didn't like that because they already had Out of the Abyss. But yeah, uh,
3: they're they're so universal. It's nice, and you know, right? right. They'd have been missing if they weren't in here.
1: Right, and and uh, and I like that they reprinted it because I got rid of Out of the Abyss because I'm not going to run it. You know. Um, so uh so you know, and not everybody buys every book uh, right. and so if you if you don't have every book or you don't keep every book, then it's nice to have one set of books that have you know all the creatures that that might be important to whatever story you want to have told. but you know is that you know back to my point is that level sixteen party gonna find uh you know how how many how many how much uh, how do I say this how much higher does the CR have to be for your party to get its butt whooped
3: I mean, it depends on the circumstance, but in some cases, I think once you cross like the level 10 threshold, pretty high, especially if the if the characters are, are pretty decent at what they do. I, I you know, I've, I've heard lots of stories about people where the CR was 10 higher than the players and they're still beating it. And flat math has to do with it, right? It's not like there's not a brick wall that they're hitting. You know, yeah. there's, they, they, they're, you know, if it, in 3.5, that wasn't the case because you could get, or 4e. Because eventually the armor class is going to get to the point where you can't hit it. Right. Now, the same is true with DCs in this. You know, I've, I've right. definitely had high level guys where it's like, I mean, I'm looking at a Demogorgon's tentacle attack, right? It's a DC 23 constitution saving throw. Right. <laughs> like, no one has that, right? But even right. high level guys are going to have like some some of them. You hit a wizard. Their con is not, hmm. you know, they don't have crazy high cons. Even at twentieth, right. so there there, it, there are glowing weak points on high level characters that these guys can can hit. So they're still dangerous. And like yeah, Orcus is you know, Orcus is still a monster. I'm glad because he's my favorite of these high level dudes. Yeah. Orcus is thrown around power and kills twice around. So that's pretty awesome.
1: Oh, that was by the way the other the Raven Queen retcon not to go back too far in our yeah. conversation. But that was the other thing that that really was you know in fourth edition. Uh, Orcus was her foil, right? Yeah. In in this, it's Vecna. Yeah,
3: right. I which completely
1: changed. I mean, that completely <laughs> it's changed. Like I ran a whole that
3: campaign was that. that was not that yeah. way. Yeah. Right. right. Uh, yeah. So let me let me, so anyway, let, me let me not bitch so, about some monsters. T-
1: but but talk to okay. me about. But before you move on, talk to me about uh, the Winster Eladrin.
3: What is up with this guy? So the, here's here's my big issue, right? And this is where stat blocks not fitting story. Right, like it sounds like I'm bitching about math. Right, it sounds like I'm 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 nitpicking about the difference between 200 hit points and 300 hit points. What I'm really complaining about is mismatch of story. Right, that, you know, and I'm just to touch on Hudigin again. I'll leave the poor guy alone. You know, when it says that like he could possibly end up overthrowing Mephistopheles, that doesn't fit a story of 200 hit points to me. Right, it's just like I can't in my head. I can't put like Mephistopheles can't do two hundred damage. He's the freaking lord of one of the layers of hell.
1: You know? Well, but the but the idea there though, the story idea that you're missing is Hootajan wouldn't go up to Mephistopheles and take over right. with he a Hulk. direct fight.
3: Right, yeah, right. but he doesn't look like a dude who's sitting on a you know chair pontificating. He's a great big Hulk and dude. <laughs> right, look at his picture. He looks like know. you know more than that. so. Um, Yeah, so the winner, the winner, Aladrin, let me pull this guy up. Uh, Before you do that, Tracy. Yeah, Yeah, you sleep.
2: Hey, I'm just enjoying great radio here.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So
2: I have to be honest, I didn't get a chance to look at the monsters in depth because every time I tried to read the book a certain two-year-old would uh, try to read with me. And as much as I like the monsters and there are some like the Eladrin area where we could read together, a lot of these I just felt were a little off for a (laughs) two-year-old.
1: A little, just a little. (laughs) The the CR was a little too high for
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) me. I was going to bring it up under art. The art for the Yagdaloth.
1: Oh,
3: yes. I want to look at that. Where is (laughs) is that? Is that way at the end? Yes. Well he's got cool. the book cod piece. Is that the Yeah. That's pretty awesome.
2: <laughs> he's completely
3: naked. Except for a book.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 placed in the right spot. Yes. Hang on, let me
3: <laughs> check a spell. Ah! How come he doesn't have a fear attack,
1: right? Like that should be his fear. <laughs> That's the life leech. That's the uh...
3: <laughs> <laughs> life. Well, that like... took twenty thirty thirty six damage. Um <laughs>
2: I guess, I guess he he's a decent enough Chris. Like, the, the art is just not what I would expect for the, like, muscle tones and stuff like that, which yeah. is <laughs> interesting.
3: All right, let's talk about the poor, sad winter eladrin. All right. So they have four eladrins in here, right? Spring, summer, autumn, and winter. And they all kind of have different things that they do. And, and this is one where the story and the stat block actually do kind of fit, except for the fact that it's an eladrin, an, an elf. And, you know, the, the, the story of the winter eladron, which honestly, I didn't find that that to me, like if I'm thinking about a winter Aladrin, I'm thinking about cold and calculating and merciless and, you know, like the, the, the least compassionate of any of the eladrin, Right. And you could build a stat block around this idea of cold, calculating mercilessness. And instead they said, we're going to go with sorrow. So mel- melancholy and bitterness. So you have a monster that's CR 10. Right. And I think they, they made it CR 10 because they wanted it to stay at roughly the same CR as the other Aladrin, but none of them are particularly, you know, none of them really grabbed me as being hard. You know, like a CR 10 is roughly the equivalent of four 10th level characters. And then 10th level characters just laugh at these people. So, uh, but the thing that, that just drove me insane is you have an Aladrin, right? These are like the closest to the, to Corellon that an elf can get who has a long bow and does less damage is less effective with it than a goblin is with a short bow. Right. It does four plus four to hit and four piercing damage Right, a goblin is plus four to hit and five piercing damage. And, um, and, and the argument is like, you know, and, and Jeremy Crawford rightfully scolded me on Twitter and said it's that, that bow doesn't even count towards his challenge rating. Right. That bow is not that that bow is just there. And I'm like, why have it? Like, why would you embarrass this poor winter elager by giving it a bow and then making it really, really suck with it?
1: Yeah, see, see, this was the funniest exchange I, I read is, that
3: day right, because that is, Mike Shea said, why are you elf shaming? Right, because <laughs> what elf, like, what kind of elf shoots a bow like that? You know, like, like all of the elves should be at least six to hit, <laughs> you know, like the lowest level elf. You can't find, there's no, I guarantee, I, 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 I haven't checked this, but I bet you that there is no other elf anywhere in any of these books that is that crappy with a bow, right? And then the argument is like, well, it's a sad bow, right? It's, it's just kind of like, the, the yeah. boldest, and fires a shot that kind of hits the tree and goes sideways. It's sort of like a five-year-old firing a bow at summer camp yeah
2: but the rebuke does i know
3: like, it's not, yeah. i'm only i'm picking on the bow in particular because again it's like
2: no but i know great. but like yeah it's like why would it even have a bow if all it had to do is say like oh hit me hit me come at me
3: well and I then think, <laughs> what's the key to rebuke it's a reaction so only guess to do it once right. well yeah, it,
1: yeah. But, and, it, and it can cast ice storm and it can cast cone of cold right, but only you know one else day, does the mage. Only day. Right. No, no, but 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 I'm saying that's what. Yeah. So so it, right. My, a, my response to you, right? What did right. I say? I said, oh, all the other ones you've complained about, I can explain away why they have right. the discrepancies they have. This one,
3: yeah.
1: I don't know. The jury's out. I think yeah. it reads
3: weaker well, and than I had, so, you know. When when I was arguing, it, so I argued about the Black Abishai too, because I was like, here's the, it's an it's a devilish assassin of Tiamat, and it doesn't have assassinator sneak attack. Right. And that bothered me because I'm like, again, the story is it's a devilish assassin, a Tiamat with no assassinate ability, you know, and instead it, it bites and slashes of the scimitar and the scimitar kind of sucks. It's like six damage. Um, but it, it's actually balanced well enough. I, I still think it's a little weak. I've actually run it a couple times now and it did scare my party. So they liked it enough. But um, uh, so Dan Dillon, who writes monsters for Kobold Press. And uh, James Hayek, who writes for everything for everybody, as far as I can tell, um, both of them would get on my case about this stuff. And, I, and rightfully. So like when Dan Dillon's like, you know, you're being an idiot, you're probably being an idiot, right? Like that's a good if you're arguing about a monster and Dan Dillon saying you're wrong, you're probably wrong. So I, I kept that in consideration, but I showed him the winter ladder and he's like, yeah, I got no, I got no answer to that. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, was like, I got no. and James Hayek's like, yeah, what's up with that? That's terrible. So I'm like, okay, when James Hayek and Dan Dillon are on your side, there's probably something to your, to your point.
1: But, but here's my point about that. I yeah. think they focused a little bit too much on theming those Eledrin Yeah. and, and, and they, they created a creature that the party's maybe not going to fight. Right. Yeah, so, I get it,
3: but it's got a stat block.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, you know, because if they did it without a stat block, you know, everybody would be complaining it didn't have
3: a stat block. I, I, I get it. If it's a terrible, you know, so instead they put a crappy one in. But the, the, So the Kona Cold and Ice Storm thing is fine, except mages have that. And mages have a yeah. ton of other spells, and they're right. CR5. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, I know. So, I know. Yeah. So yeah. I picked on this guy in particular because it, it was like the biggest mismatch of a Challenge 10, which really are big. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll pick out two others that are in the opposite direction, and one is the Sibriax. Right? The Sibriax is, I think, a CR-19, and it's this giant, pustulating ball of chained flesh that squirts out bile as its attack. It does 200 points of damage a round. 200 points. Right? Like, that's a badass monster. Like, yeah. that's going to scare people. You know, that one I'm like, wow. And, and on the charts that, um, that Paul did for his site, it's, like, way off the chart. Like, it's, you know, it does Tarrasque-level damage at a CR-19. So I love that one. And the other one is the Star Spawn Mangler, which is a CR5. But if it gets, if it manages to pull it off, it could do 90 damage to one person on the first round at at level five. So that one's yeah. interesting in the other direction. Too.
1: Well, you know, and here's the thing, though, right? So now when you start going back into those low CRs, you start talking about things that are going to be a, mu- a lot more scary because, you know, level five PCs really don't have that many hit points.
3: Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, well, I don't know what a level five has, like 30-ish, 35? Yeah. This thing is, it, it does six attacks, which means it's going to drop you and then kill you because it has to right. focus on you. So it's, right. it's it's truly a character killer. It's just going to butcher people. And then, it's, so that one's interesting. I, I, I like it. I think actually, like, you would not want to put that up against low-level guys. But you could have a few of those against high-level guys, and it would be ruthless. It would be really, really tough. So they are definitely hitting that, like, glass cannon high-level thing. Yeah. Um, but one, one last thing about Story Mismatch, and, uh, which is uh, the, the, the Leviathan is another one that I kind of picked out. And this is the most powerful elemental you can summon from the elemental plane, like of the, you know, of the four, right? It's, it's, it's not the most powerful of the four. It's the most powerful water elemental thing you can summon. And there's a picture of it, and it's like the size of a ship, right? Mm-hmm. It's this huge watery snake that, that, that's the size of an ocean liner. And its slam attack is 15 damage. <laughs> right. And that that was one where I'm like, that doesn't fit the story. Like it should be it should destroy half of Waterdeep with one slap. Right. And the argument is, like, well, it all balances out. Right. The math is all right. I'm like, that's too low. <laughs> right? Like 15 damage. Ogres do 15 damage. You know, like it, so that that's that, th- what, what it came to me is like, yeah, I know Mike Shade bitches about stats, but it doesn't fit the story. Right. And the, and the numbers should match the story in my mind. Now I'm, I'm, of course I'm ignoring the fact that it has this tidal wave that can wreck a city, you know. So it, it has another thing that does it. I just feel like a slam attack from a live of a of a leviathan should be you know 30, 30 damage, something like that.
1: It's a, it's 10 it's uh, uh 1d10 plus 10 plus yeah. 5 acid damage. Yeah, it, that feels it feels low. Doesn't it? it right.
3: Low. Like yeah. I'm not it isn't. Like when you do all the math and you work it all out, it's correct, but that's not right. Like that, you know, correct might be one thing. So, Story, but it is
1: does right. that. But then it does a tail attack, right? Which does uh one d twelve plus ten plus six acid. So 16. your 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 damage per round then does
3: yeah, end up correct. in the 30, 30 hit point know. round. But uh, but one tail slap should be destroying people.
2: Well, I was going to say the and maybe the issue is instead of calling it a slam, they could have called it a slap.
3: Yeah, right. That would be okay, right? <laughs> sla- I, yeah, that's correct, crazy. You call it a slap, and I good If it's yes. like it's sort yes. of like it's inconsequential to the Leviathan, right? Yes. Just it, as it's moving, it hits you for fifteen right. damage. That I. Right. But a slam attack from a gargantuan thing doesn't do fifteen points. That's you know. Um. So let me let me talk about monsters I love. I already talked about the Cibriks and the Star Mangler, but they has a lot of new drow, and I love the drow that they have in here. Really cool high level drow. Um. There's one weird bit, which is the Drow Consort. Um. You know, it has this Drow consort, which is essentially like the um, what do they call it? Uh 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 you know, I don't know. But it's sort of like the plaything of the high level of the of like the high priestesses, right? It's like they're beautiful and they're around for procreation, and that's pretty much it. Uh except that they're CR nineteen. <laughs> so you're like, you know, why would if it if a drow's primary purpose is a plaything for High, for, for like a, a, a drow high priestess I'm pretty sure it could be like CR1 um, now the stat block is great and it's a you know it, it feels like Zachgna to find and from from uh, the you know from the Ari Salvador novels like this thing could kick a lot of ass as a CR 19 but it doesn't say like this is the most powerful drow warrior of a house instead it's like no it's it's a you know it's pretty it's a pretty a pretty boy Um. Now all the rest, but you know, I, I still love the stat block. I, that's, that's another mismatch of the story of the stat block. Uh, but the stat blocks are great, and they're really powerful, and they do lots of cool stuff. Um, the gift.
0: I don't know. I I,
1: I would say that uh, a favored consort is going to be someone who's quite powerful because why would the high priestess bother with you? Why would the
3: matron but, bother but, with but you if you're not powerful? That says, nearly all priestesses and in including powerful matron mothers, take attractive drow as their consorts. Often they serve no purpose beyond pleasure, breeding, or both.
1: Once they're a consort, right? But they had to, it's not, you know, they had to have skills enough to be noticed and become wait, a favored one, right? Wait.
3: But sometimes consorts can gain the ear of their priestesses and be relied on to provide powerful advice or u- useful advice, right? Like, that doesn't equate to you know, three scimitar attacks for 26 damage each. <laughs> you know? So I just, wow. I like, I remember Zach, like, Zach Define Dordan when they described him, I was 15 years old reading those books. And I remember Zach Define just demolishing a whole room full of other priestesses. I was like, that guy's badass. And, and they sort of just changed the text a little bit to say, by the way, these act as the, you know, the the most, essentially the most powerful male fighter in a house. You know, that's all I needed, <laughs> but it didn't have it. And I, I, I keep bitching about things I love. So, <laughs> yeah, but I love the stat okay. In my head, I can change this and that guy's badass. It's a really powerful drow. And there's lots yeah. of really powerful drow and they're all awesome. And I think like you could run a, given the drow that are in the monster manual and the drow that you have here, you have like a one to, you know, you have, a, you have interesting drow for people to, you know, deal with from the lowest level to the highest level. Uh, I also love the Gith. All the Gith that are in here are awesome. Some of them are really powerful and scary and tough, and they're both sides. Nyanki and Gizieri are both cool. The Shardakai are really cool. I love the Shardakai in 4th Edition. Uh, Sam, I, I don't know if you spent a lot of time with the Shardakai in 4th Edition. Did you? I did. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm glad to see them again, and I think they, they hit that mark again of kind of mm-hmm. the, you know, I, I think they could have been sort of the the, the, you know, the pseudo-replacement for the Drow mm-hmm. you know that aren't quite so racially charged right Um, right and i think that would have been a neat yeah so i'm glad to see him in here and i like them um and i I, love the star spawn you know the the star spawner in here it's the only monster that really has tactics described in their in their monster description and the Mm -hmm. tactics are really cool like the star spawn seer can fire psychic damage at the star spawn hulk who then radiates it out to all the enemies that are around him you know, yeah, and it's a yeah. neat way for these for these creatures to work together. And I don't see enough of that with the other with the other ones.
1: You know, now that they're um they're sort of getting they're getting multiple different CR ratings for different types of creatures, I'm seeing a little bit of I, I had a fourth edition flashback when I was looking at this book when I particularly the ogre section, because there's an ogre battering ram, there's an ogre bolt launcher, there's an ogre chain brute. Uh, and that is – that's like the fourth edition naming convention uh, because those are all different CRs, yeah. right. and they're uh, – they, They're not
3: that yeah. much. They're
1: well, they, one or two different, but before. but that makes – a dif- well, uh, four, two, three, two. I mean, that makes a difference, though, at that challenge rating,
3: sure. yeah. right? It's not like in fourth edition it was like here's the sixth and the 16th oh, yeah. no, and no, the no, 20th. No.
0: <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I, meant the, I meant the naming convention, though. So yeah, I, I right. saw this, yeah. I was like, whoa, and I had to look at that to yeah. see what they were doing. Uh, but uh, yeah, so, uh, but it's interesting that in some of these, they're, they're, you're actually making my point for me, because I was going to say, they're only a couple of CR apart. But when you look at the drow, we now have a relatively wide range of CRs for drow.
3: Yeah, it, it covers a lot. Now, the, the other interesting thing is, I, I have done this in fifth edition now, and and the, the flat math actually does work. That you can, I you know if you, you can have you know twenty five drow warriors attack a, a higher level party, and and it will matter, right? Like right, it, right. Know, it it can it can matter in their favor. So the idea that these monsters can actually you don't really need to have a bunch of variants of monsters because you can just use regular drow warriors, mm-hmm. and you know if they're within ten CR, you know ten levels or so, they'll still be you know, they'll still be interesting. I mean, I ran 100 zombies against a group of level eights and, you know, they were, they wiped out a lot of them with fireballs and turn undeads and stuff, but then there's still a bunch yeah. of zombies left. Right. <laughs> you know? right. So it mattered, yeah.
1: So once again, it's the situation that you create rather than the actual individual stat blocks and CRs yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: is, I think, what this is coming down to.
3: Yeah, there, uh, there's one, one interesting thing about the Ogres, and I've been thinking about this more recently. Um, you know, Teos Abadia, uh, Stream on Twitter, uh, he and I talk about all this stuff and, and he's probably the best guy on Twitter to follow for any of the D&D stuff. He's my, he's you know, he just is always on, you got his thumb on all this stuff that's going on. And um, he's been talking a lot about like the, Kind of being sad that monsters aren't built the same way that four E monsters are, with sort of lots of really interesting mechanical things that they do. Your mm-hmm. pushes and pulls and your you know everything like that. And and I, I I don't miss those. I'm I'm thinking I'm like why don't I miss those? You know. And what I realize is I do that in flavor. Like I don't right. You know. And, and those ogres are interesting because like I actually didn't need any of those. I had ogres doing all kinds of weird stuff mm-hmm. just by describing it. Like I didn't change the stat block. I didn't you know. I just have them carrying a battering ram. I just have them have a. Cart that carries, you know, uh, carries uh, goblins on Mm top. So it's interesting that they make those.
1: But but you're a DM who's been doing this for a long time, and and you've been teaching people about it for a long time and talking about it for a long time a new dm might not necessarily be comfortable just saying oh well yeah uh that ogre has a battering ram and then being able to like put a mechanical consequence to that or or put a put a narrative consequence to it
3: that's an interesting point the question is which should you be teaching them hey we're gonna go ahead and give you four staff blocks of four different kinds of ogres or Mm -hmm. here's how to go ahead and do the story focus thing
1: i think it's a mix
3: yeah, is, so it really is. is. And I think, I think that's an experiment. That. I, I, I would not be surprised if they said, let's throw this in here and see how people feel about mm-hmm. it. Maybe. I don't know. I could be reading and yeah. it. So, okay, well, sorry,
1: let's 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 move away from monsters because I want to talk about the art. I want to talk about layout. I want to talk about if uh, any critique or if it's missing anything or if it has too much of anything or and, and we've got probably ten minutes because we've we've already been talking for a very long time. Although I find the conversation very interesting. I hope our audience does as well. Tracy might be asleep over there.
2: I'm awake. (laughs) I was listening.
1: (laughs) We don't give you a chance to get a word in edgewise, so, you know.
2: Well, and uh, like I I said, uh, I had a hard time getting into the monster stats because of the two-year-old, so uh, I didn't have as much to add there. But the art, on the other hand, uh, so... I went out and got it, I think the first day was available at uh, bookstore at the gaming stores, mm-hmm. and as soon as I started flipping through the book, I was like automatically taking pictures, and then it, that's when I decided to do the first flip-through on my uh, Sarah Dark Magic YouTube channel, and I actually did flip-through the entire book uh, and post it up there, uh, and have not gotten any uh, feedback that I can't do that, so... <laughs> Uh, and it is because of the art, um, and it was it was interesting too reading it later and finding out about the balance thing because I did notice even just in the art itself that you know you had these really dark and horrible creatures and then you would have like dwarves or halflings and their families <laughs> yeah right
3: like throwing the baby <laughs> up over the fire right like hey yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm all happier <laughs> which is kind of nice like I really like that chapter because of that it's yeah like vacation
2: so if you don't have the book yet and want to see what it looks like you can feel free to check out the video maybe we'll put a link in yep and (laughs) and then uh but yeah so i think the i i I think it's really interesting that the art direction did pretty good job of bringing balance through there too
3: yeah i I yeah I, i love the art and yeah i think it does have you know like yeah i really like the elven section the elven section for the most part there's there's pictures of drow fighting things and stuff but there's a lot of really beautiful peaceful pieces of art and and like you said i i I really did enjoy the whole section on the 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 gnomes and halflings because it was sort of a break from you know let's talk about the difference between demons and devils and and the you know the gif you know and these other really kind of Mm-hmm. big powerful races and, and and the art i think helped a lot with that i think the art in this book is fantastic i do yeah, I... I do i do miss the maps like one thing that volos guide had is they threw some sample maps of layers and maybe it doesn't fit this as well like you're not going to draw a dugar layer you know or a you know an elven layer so so probably we didn't need it but it was one of those like it was really i i use them in volos and and mm-hmm. It would have been nice to have something like that but it probably it, it just would
1: have it. it would have been cool to have instead of creature layers it would have been cool to see like a typical halfling town or yeah, you know right. a typical dwarven yeah. hold or yeah. something you know That would have
3: been a good right, nice places yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah Yeah I agree
1: Yeah I I myself I like the art as well I think there there are some um there are some pieces that sort of verge on like watercolor style I mean I I don't I'm I don't know I'm sure that the art is probably done digitally by most people although what do I know I'm not an artist but uh some of them are very like watercolor style type um like on page 80 there's this sort of fortress picture that looks very watercolor-y there's a couple of uh images in the elven lore section that are very watercolor-like um uh and they're just it's it's just really nice because it's not um, this sort of uh, – oh, yeah, page 37 is this really interesting landscape. I mean, I don't know. It's it's not just all pictures of people. It's pictures of places. Yeah. It's pictures of uh, families in terms of the lore section. It's pictures of, um, you know, like the fish skipper on page 101. It's a hilarious Picture. I think um, I, they're just they're really. It's really nice. I think it's really well balanced. I, I think I, I agree with Tracy. I think they really did a good job uh, trying to do some balance in terms of the evil things in the book, the the not evil things in the book, and how can we depict that relatively equally, um, and at the same time remaining a monster book. I mean, it really is a monster book.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So. Um, what do you think about the the difference in covers?
3: Uh, I really so the the previous um, I forget what the who the name of the person that does the collectors co- covers mm-hmm. is, but maybe maybe it's not the same person each time. Th- those covers have to grow on me a little bit. Like I didn't mm-hmm. quite like Volos as much as the original. Like I, I I actually like the art. I think it's my favorite piece of DD art ever. Is the cover to the non collectors version of Volos Guide with the frost giants? Yep. You know, Volo kind of negotiating with two frost Mm -hmm. giants and there's so much going on in that one frost giant wants to stab him. Another one's like, hang on, he's got something to say, which is such a very Volo thing. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, this one, I didn't like the original cover nearly as much as the special cover. So I'm I'm happy to have the special the special edition cover Um, and the Xanathar one. I think both covers are fantastic and it's hard to pick.
1: Yeah, this is the only one I have the special cover on for that same reason. I didn't, uh, I didn't particularly fancy those.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and so, you know, for me, I have to go, you know, a hundred miles uh, to get to a really yeah, nice right, game store right. to pick one up. Yeah, I'm uh, my, my and game
3: shop's pretty close.
1: Yeah, so so for me, it has to be a oh, I really want that kind of thing. Right. Um, Tracy, do you have? Uh, I see in your video, which I will link to, you have the regular edition. Did you also get a fancy cover?
2: Yeah, that's the one Jeff sent me.
1: Mm, nice.
2: So I, I like that one a little bit more. Um, but they're I think they're both interesting.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and I did look up uh, so the for this one, the regular cover is by Jason Rainville and the alt cover is by Vance Kelly.
3: Gotcha.
1: Okay. I don't know who did the special covers in the other two books. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the uh, depiction of Morden Kanan on the special cover, is a little more sinister mm-hmm.
3: than He's on the a sinister first. guy.
1: He is a very sinister, <laughs> but that's what I mean. Right. I feel like, yeah. uh, you know, he has so much knowledge and evil things in his mind. How can he not be a little bit sinister? Uh, even if you consider him a good guy. And so, uh, you know, I feel like he looks more sinister in the special edition cover. Um, but yeah so he he's had a lot of depictions of him through the years in different products uh, it's pretty interesting um he he's he's it's a good depiction i think right um so uh all right i think we've covered almost everything uh overall thoughts i have good, tips bad? okay tips let's hear them
3: um so my my overall thought i mean you know it's it's kind of hard to say like well should you buy it or not like if you want you know, they don't put that many books out that if this thing resonates with you at all, it's fine. It's a good book. And I like it a lot. And that there's a lot in it and it's very useful. Um, I, I, so my, my, my big tips. One is read it, like read it cover to cover. It's worth the time. It fills your head with d lore. It really lets you kind of seep in the fantasy of this place. And that helps you improvise uh, when you're running your game. It helps you kind of say, like, wasn't there a creature? I, I pulled the vampire mist just, you know, out of a hat last night when I was running my game. Because I had just read about it recently. So, you know, it's not a lazy technique to read these books. As you say, it takes a lot of time. But, you know, I, I read them instead of fiction. And and, and that, you know, I'm, to me, they are fiction. I really enjoy it. And I, and I kind of had to teach myself to enjoy it like that. Um, but now I, I, I can't wait. Like, I'm, I'm going back and reading the Adventures Guide cover to cover just because I enjoy it so much. Um, and then, you know, the, like all monster books, this is a fantastic Way yeah, you know, it's a fantastic toolbox to reskin stuff of your own story. Um, in my uh, Tomb of Annihilation game, the Vampire mists, the lore did not fit my game, but the idea that there's these clouds out there that are sort of these lost souls that have been drawn from the soulmonger and they're floating out there and they want to eat life that fit the story. So I just reskinned the vampire mist into those death death mists and it worked perfectly. and they were they were cool and they scared the hell out of people and that was great. Uh, for the really high challenge monsters or, or for high, high to really high, anything above CR 10, keep the maximum hit points that a monster can be in mind. And then and then during the fight, you know, you can decide, like, are, should I should I switch them to max hit points or not based on like, are you the, are the characters having too easy a time and too easy means that it's going to be less fun for them if they beat him too soon. Not you think they should be beaten too soon. Like mm-hmm. you got to judge the fun of the game. And sometimes it's fun for them to kill it in one hit. And then you should. Um, and you could do the same thing with damage. There's lots of ways to kind of increase the threat of these monsters by either going to the maximum damage that they can inflict or doubling the damage dice it's the essentially giving them crits every hit. But a crit on a monster is typically not nearly as big as a crit on a a, a monster's crit is not nearly as big. So those are my those are my big tips for how to like get the most out of this book.
1: Awesome. Tracy, do you have any uh, closing thoughts or anything that we didn't actually mention that you wanted to draw attention to?
2: No, uh, the only thing is that given now that they're writing books with a lot of lore and stuff, I'd love to get some of this in audio format.
3: Yeah. Mm,
1: yeah.
2: Because <laughs> uh, uh, I do have a commute. Um, I don't have a lot of time where I can sit down with a book uh, probably for at least the next year. Um, so that would help a lot, I think.
3: I, I have a gift for you. Awesome. So uh, my, can I can I give a small plug, small plug here? Sure. Small Sorry. plug. Uh, I won't plug anything else. Uh, so I wrote a book called Fantastic Locations, which is 20 locations you can drop into any of your fantasy games. And they're intended to be system agnostic and uh, world agnostic. So you can kind of pick whatever fits. And Rudy Basso, friend of the show here, uh, made an audiobook version of it. And it's for it's available on Audible. So, Tracy, I will send you a promo copy. Awesome, thank you. And it's a kind of it's another way to sort of like seep in. It's not the kind of thing that like you'll memorize it and then go to your game and use it. You'd still you know need to have the details, but it's a great way to just let a location kind of seep into you.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: Interesting. Uh, I, it's funny because you know I I I, as you know Mike has mentioned, I basically read everything cover to cover. Uh, usually I read everything cover to cover, uh, and I have a really good memory, so I retain a lot of things. So, uh, when I go back, I can easily find things because my brain remembers where, you know, what part of the page I was looking at and all that stuff. Uh, and that's not unique to me. If you start reading these books and start trying to pay attention, that'll start happening to you too. But, you know, I understand that everybody has... The time to do that. I mean, I heck, sometimes I don't have the time to do that. So uh, that's that's a rough one. Um, but I do agree with the advice. I think it's a good piece of advice. But I think uh, I think not a lot of people have a lot of time to do that. Um, if you only have an hour a week to prep, uh, I'm not sure that. It should be spent reading cover to cover something that you might not use ninety percent of.
3: Yeah, although I bet you people aren't reading the books, and they're spending a lot of time prepping things they don't need to prep. Yeah, <laughs> like, pre- so possibly. I think yep, like, yep. It, it's it, to me it's, it's topic, the hardest lazy tip, but that, I, I, that's I, a topic it's
1: for for a different
3: podcast. Sure. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs>
1: maybe a, an advice episode later.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, uh, but I give the book a thumbs up, so. Uh, I think uh, I think it's a nice book. I think I'm I'm not sure that it has enough in it for players, uh, but um, that's because the majority of the time I'm DMing. So you know, if a player out there says yes, it is good for players. Then uh, you know, I think it's worth it. Um, and so I think we've basically covered everything. Uh, we've gone over an hour, I think. So uh, let's uh, let's wrap up the episode. <laughs>
2: We'd like to say thank you to our guest, Mike Shea. Mike, where can people find you on the internet?
3: Uh, You can find me at my website, slyflourish.com, or on Twitter at twitter.com slash slyflourish.
2: We'd also like to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash Show. They're very supportive and give us extremely useful feedback whenever we need it. Uh, For as little as a dollar a month, you can join the community and help us pay the bills for the whole Tome Show lineup. I'd like to specifically thank Keith Bryan, Jill Sanders, Leonard Pelletier, Jeremiah McCoy, Matt Bible, Doug Palmer, Mark Richmond, and Dan Simmons. I'm also a patron, but I never get mentioned. Thank you all (laughs) so much for your support.
1: And thank you to the listeners for using our Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links. You can find those at thetomeshow.com, where you can also find the other great shows on our feed. And as always, you can contact us via email at thetomeshow at gmail.com or through our world famous Bizline at nine one nine BizTome. That's nine one nine-b-I-Z-T-O-M-E.
2: And that's episode three hundred and five, where we marched the front lines of the blood war, witnessed the great flying ships of the Gith, and learned how to t- Expertly skip some fish on a hidden lake in this episode of
0: Goto, Goto, You don't dress up to
2: play
0: D, you don't dress up to play D. you don't dress up to play DD, unless you want to, like me. You don't dress up to play D, you don't dress up to play D, you don't dress up to play D, unless you want to, like me. Yo- we fancy, let me teach you about class, priest, fighter, rogue, catch a kick, your ass, you don't think we street, look at this table full of ice, you don't think we hard, just touch my face. you don't think we can get it? At the birds and the bees, I'm a pallet in the suits, but a thief in the shoes, my character shoots, cause they full of the brim, with maxed out stats, out to ever my DM, he's he in charge, we don't is dying cause it's just like baseball there's no clients. you wanna join in now you start realizing we're the cool cool nerds call me Neil deGrasse twice D to the R to the A goodness, S D and D the dungeon mess sets up a scenario then he or she asks where would you like to go we talk as a group then decide together there's no winning yo we could play forever stay right there let me answer your questions or clear up all your misconceptions stay right there Questions clear up there are all your misconceptions you don't dress up to play d you don't dress up to play d d you don't dress up to play d d unless you want to like me you don't dress up to play d d you don't dress up to play d you don't dress up to D&D unless you want to like me you don't dress up to play D&D you don't dress up to play D&D you don't dress up to play D&D unless you want to like me you don't dress up to play D&D you don't dress up to play D&D you don't dress up to play D&D unless you want to like me
2: I'm almost walk